Thanks, Nikki. So the reading for today is from John 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Um, I'm still up here. Who must I give this? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Yeah, Thought you, you really can bring the mic. <laughs> Thank you very much, T. Good morning. Wow, doesn't that intro to the clip of the sitcom Friends just stir up memories? Well, about three weeks ago, I walked into my wife, Jolene, nicely stretched out on our three-seater couch, watching a rerun of the sitcom Friends. And as I walked in, she looked at me like this uninvited intruder, <laughs> intruding into her me time. And to make matters worse, instead of just sitting quietly, um, you can picture the scene, the kids were in bed, I was supposed to be out of sight and in our study finishing work. So instead of just slotting in quietly, the very first thing I did was to ask her why she was watching a rerun of this sitcom that last aired many, many moons ago. I'm not going to tell you what her response was, <laughs> um, but it's amazing to think that this sitcom that hit our TV screens about 29 years ago and introduced us to young New Yorkers who could barely hold down a job but could always afford a cup of coffee. <laughs> Besides the drama and the humor, this show gave us a tight-knit community of people that were very flawed and imperfect that would end up becoming each other's chosen family. So even if you didn't care for the sitcom Friends or you have never watched it, 
I'm sure you agree with me that the popularity of sitcoms such as Friends says something very important about us as human beings. Beneath the entertainment, they give the viewer this very brief but intense taste of something that we all long to experience, something that we all ought to experience. In fact, the theme song to Friends, I Will Be There For You, captures the longing in our hearts to be part of a real community of people that we can count on no matter what. Deep down, all of us have a longing to be in a loving community, maybe for some in ways that you do not yet fully understand or maybe in ways that you do not appreciate or even acknowledge. In fact, God has planted a longing for real relationships in our DNA. And the Bible reminds us of this in Genesis 2, verse 18, when God declares, it is not good that the man should be alone. So we are all wired for lives of relational fullness. So as we come to the end of our series, The Way of Jesus, our main text this morning that T so beautifully read for us takes us to the night in the middle of the night where Jesus is having what would be his last supper with his disciples. Jesus knew that he was about to be betrayed and be crucified. And he sort of brings his disciples for a huddle and begins to share with them things very important, things to take heart of, things to prioritize. And in that moment, Jesus calls his disciples then and calls us now this morning to the priority, the pattern, and the power of real and deepening relationships in the community of his followers let us pray. Father, we thank you so much. What a privilege this morning to be able to celebrate your faithful to us that has endured over the last years and that will endure until the end of time. And as Christine has reminded us that we can come with our hearts to you. And I pray by your spirit, won't you reveal your heart for us this morning? Won't you shape our hearts after your son Jesus' heart? Won't you do this in your love and kindness, we pray. Amen. So as we start off in verse 19, as T read, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So in the first part of verse 9, when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, Jesus sort of draws us and allows us to peer into something very fundamental, into something 
very foundational. So Jesus starts by referencing to the Father. And secondly, he tells us that he is loved. So what Jesus is saying to us here is that there is a relationship within God, and it is a loving relationship. John later goes to write write in 1 John 4 that God is love. So at the very center of the essence of the Christian understanding of one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a real relationship of love. A real relationship of love is the essence of who God is. God is not just a higher power. God is not just a creative force. God is love, and He exists in community. First and foremost, God's love is expressed in community. In fact, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed from eternity past in a community of love. And Jesus allows us to have a glimpse of this when he prays in John 17, verse 1, and he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world exists. And he goes on to pray in John 17, verse 24, You have loved me before the foundation of the world. I want to invite us to close our eyes. Let's pause a minute and close our eyes. Of course, I'm going to keep my eyes open to see who is not closing their eyes. I'm just kidding. As you are closing your eyes, I want you to imagine that you didn't exist. Imagine that nothing existed. No people, no animals, no sounds of birds singing, no sounds of those crickets in your garden garden that keeps you awake at night. Please don't sleep now. Is there anything that still exists? You can open your eyes. Well, Jesus tells us, yes, there is something that existed before creation, before all things, and it's a loving relationship that exists in community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a God who eternally exists as a triune fellowship of love. And because the Bible reminds us in Genesis 1.27 that you and I were made in the image of God, the implication of that, one beautiful implication of that is that you and I were wired for lives of relational fullness. Whether you are an introvert or an extrovert or a perfect combination of the two, we can never live lives fully flourishing as God intended for us without real and deepening relationships. Beloved of God, this should shape how we think about the place and priority 
of real and deepening relationships in this community. So in verse 12 of chapter 15, Jesus goes on to say this to his disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You can show love to someone without any relationship whatsoever. About a couple of weeks ago, me and my family, we got stuck. We had a tire puncture and a stranger completely out of the, out of the blue came. He said to me, when I saw your wife and your kids sitting on the pavement, I knew I had to come and help. Maybe all of us this morning, we have our own story of a good Samaritan, or we have been a good Samaritan, the proverbial good Samaritan, somebody else, as is told by Jesus in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37, of how this Samaritan man meets a Jewish man that he did not even know who had been beaten up and left for the dead. And he comes to him and he takes him so he could be cared for. He even pays for his care and he went on his way. Do not get me wrong, that is real love and Jesus commands that. But that is not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. Here Jesus is talking about a love that runs through the veins of relationships. To lay, one's, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Well, the reality is that in our modern culture or our way of life they, today, there is so many things that works against this type of love, where we stick around to befriend, where we work through unfamiliar backgrounds, work through each other's quirkiness and awkwardness, we stick around to build deep relationships with each other. I think of, of our friends, um, when she moved from, from Brazil a long, long time ago to come and settle down here in South Africa, she couldn't speak a single word of English. And I think of how she pushed through that to build relationships with people. Literally, if you were to go have a cup of coffee with her, she would arrive at the coffee shop with her handbag on one arm dictionary in the other hand, you would say something to her, she would look word by word what it meant, and she would then try and look for English words so she could piece together a sentence. 
in our lives today, whether it's the business of work or responsibilities or is an interest that just devour our time and energy and in a way comes in the way of making these kind of real and deepening relationships. But even more serious is the way we are becoming conditioned in countless ways to think of ourselves as individuals only and not members of any community. In our individualistic, consumer-driven society, so many things happening around us are customized for individual tastes. I think of, I love, if you know me, I love to read about news. And it's amazing, these days you have what they call aggregators, like Google News. It can just give you the kind of news that you want to hear depending on your interests. So you can just have news about celebrities or you can just have news about your favorite sport and never get to hear about what's happening in your own community. Any music lovers this morning, do you remember the days when if you wanted to listen to a song, you actually had to buy the whole album? on a CD or cassette tape or on vinyl records, as some call them, gramophone. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But now we get to stream whatever songs we want. We can even make up our own album called A Playlist. And I read somewhere that this sort of customization into individual tastes that's happening in the digital media has begun to form certain trends when people go to concerts. So these days, when people go to concerts, more and more concert organizers are picking up this trend where people either come in late just to hear specific songs that they want to hear, or they leave early as soon as whatever song or songs that they want to hear have been played. So before the rise of customized digital media, when people went to concert or concerts, they went to participate in community as they listened to music. They went to join other music lovers in a community and to enjoy music as a community. But these days, we go to concerts as individual consumers. Beloved of God, let us be aware of how this individualistic consumer culture seeps into the church. That we begin to first and foremost think of ourselves as individual consumers. If we do not get what we want, we can always go somewhere else where we can get what we want. Where our needs, our individual needs are the most important thing. And we find ourselves only maybe attending a Sunday gathering like this and never sticking around to building real relationships. Or even we attend life group now and then, sort of meet one, skip a few, and never really becoming part of a community 
in a way where we personally take responsibility and accountability for others. Beloved of God, we were built for more. We were built for real relationships where others unconditionally and unselfishly commit to others as we commit to them. In verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. So in verse 15, Jesus gives us two kinds of relationships. The one relationship is what we would call a transactional or a professional relationship. In that relationship, a relationship is a means to an end, like the example that he gives of a servant and a master. And when we relate to people in this way, we primarily view people as resources to be used, not as people to be loved, to be cared for, to be served. The other example that Jesus gives us of a relationship, the one that he went on to model for his is that of a personal relationship. Instead, I have called you friends. When we are friends in the real sense, we let each other into our lives. A business partner called Jonathan. And Jonathan and I have a professional relationship to make this work. And the most important thing However, for me, is that I and Jolene have known Jonathan and his wife, Lindsay, for many, many years, that we do not just have a professional relationship, we have a personal relationship. Jolene and Lindsay and Jonathan used to be part of a youth group together for about, in, in about 20 years ago. And when we get together, we do not just talk about clients and projects. We let each other. In fact, we have spent holidays together. Our kids know each other. And when we get together, we talk about our marriage. We talk about our kids. We talk about our walk with God, the stuff of real relationship. We let each other in to our personal lives. As you're listening to this, you might be thinking, I like the sound of building personal relationships with people. How is it even possible that I can go personal with 20 plus people in this church? Well, the reality of a growing church like us, thank God, is that neither the elders or the deacons or anyone for that matter can have a personal relationship with everyone in the church. But however, we are not 
helpless. What we see in the way of Jesus is that Jesus had concentric circles of personal relationships in varying depth of intimacy. So when you hear concentric circles, as it shows on the screen, it's really just circles in and in each other. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that the Bible mentions the 70 or the 72 in Luke 10 verse 1 that Jesus chose and sent them out and sent out. Then in Mark 3 verse 14, the Bible tells us of the 12 that Jesus chose to be with throughout his ministry. And within the 12, Jesus had the three, Peter, James, and John. It's those three that Jesus took into the house when he raised Jairus' daughter. It is those three only who got to experience the glorious event at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured. And the Bible says his face shone like the, like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And it is those three that Jesus would draw into the seclusion of the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is at his most vulnerable moment. And the Bible says his soul was sorrowful to the point of death. And Jesus would ask his three to touch and pray. Of relationships with varying depth of relationship. And our own concentric circles in this church could look like this. In a Sunday gathering like us, which is a high moment for us as a church where we meet and worship and experience the presence of God together. And in these gatherings, we relate widely as we encounter people all to the church and welcome new people to the church. And the reality of these large gatherings is that conversations go wider, but not deeper. And it is really life groups where what looks like an impersonal church becomes more personal as relationships start to take root, where we help each other to apply what God is saying to us through Sunday preaching. And it is in life groups where we put ourselves under the care and the oversight of elders as they partner with life groups. Then we have what we call groups of threes. I can imagine a lot of you are thinking, what is that animal? I have never heard of groups of threes. Well, groups of, uh, groups of threes are not meant to compete with life groups, in case you're saying, but I'm already in a life, groups, in a life group. But they are meant to complement life groups. They are a place where deeper accountability and more focused 
discipleship happens. So groups of churches are essentially two or three people that get together maybe once a month or maybe every other week for about an hour and they commit to encourage each other. They commit to hold each other accountable to the key priorities of every Christ follower, which is to feast on Jesus, to fight sin, and to fulfill our mission. And these groups of threes tend, this group of threes not tend to, but are gender-based in the sense that men meet on, as men and women meet as women. But gender is the only criteria for sameness. We are not advocating that sameness other than gender becomes the basis on which you decide which group of three you belong to. The reality is that when we gravitate to people that look like us and sound like us or even own and live like us, some of our blind spots are never uncovered. We miss out on the redemptive and character forming that tension of diversity brings to our lives. So, as maybe you're thinking about some of the practicalities of these groups of threes, I'd encourage you to grab one of these uh, booklets. You'll find it at the guest area. It just goes into much detail in terms of what is the heart and the vision of these groups of threes, and what do you actually get to do when you get together as groups of threes. What we also see in our main text is that the pattern of real relationships, the way of Jesus, is not just personal, but there is depth. That involves us laying down our lives for each other's sake in a way where the flourishing of others takes priority over our own goals and ambitions or even our own comfort. And Jesus would say in verse 13, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here Jesus is saying to us that if you want to know how great or how deep someone's love for you, see how much it costs them. Jesus would go on moments later after saying this to not only suffer scratches and bruises, Jesus would go on to take our pain. He would go on to take our suffering. The full punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, for our iniquities. He poured his life even unto death as an offering for our sins. So, the implication here is that there is no depth in a relationship 
that does not cost us anything. I'm sure you agree with me. You feel differently when you receive a happy birthday message that is computer generated from an insurance company than when a friend overseas stays up late so that they can wish you happy birthday at a time that is convenient for you. Or when somebody spends their last airtime so that their last money so they could buy airtime to wish you happy birthday. So to love deeply is to choose costly sacrifice for the sake of another, whether it's time or it's maybe dropping some stuff on our grocery list so we can be generous to somebody who's going through a financial, a difficult financial time, whether it's the discomfort of asking tough questions, whether it's the vulnerability of exposing our struggles, or even the load that we carry as we walk through struggles together. As I conclude, I am mindful that maybe as you hear this, you might be saying, I love the sound of being in real and deepening relationships in this community. But when I hear that it's costly and that there is sacrifice involved, I do not know if I can do this. I, I've even tried this, and it hasn't worked before. I find helpful what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, that Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone. The more serenely shall we think of fellowship and pray and hope for it. Beloved of God, real and personal relationships only happen when the roots of our lives are sunk deep in the, heart, in the love of Christ for us. And we see this in John 15, verse 5. So before Jesus goes on to command us to love each other as he has loved us, he says this in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying to us is, yes, go on to love each other as I have loved you, but not by just copying my fruit, but by connecting to my vine. You do not only imitate my character, you participate in my power. And when you connect to my vine, when you participate in my character, then your love for each other is not just a 
simulation of my love, but it's a manifestation of the love that I have for you. In fact, in fact the writer to the book of John, the Apostle John, knew that the power of real and deepening relationship is from the love of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle John, in countless times, referred to himself as the apostle that Jesus loves. And there is an incident in, the, in John's life that is recorded by a Greek historian called Eusebius that shows how Jesus' love manifested in John's own life. According to Eusebius, when John left the exile in, at the island in Patmos, as related in the book of Revelation, he went to a town called Smyrna, and in that town he met, he met a young man, and he led the man to Christ. And he began to disciple this young man. In a sense, this young man was part of John's group of threes. And it came a time when John had to leave town. So he went to the bishop in this town, and he said to him, can you please take care of this young man? So this bishop took the young man in, and when John came back, he went to the bishop and he said to him, where is that young man that I left in your care? And this bishop says to John, he is dead. And in shock, John asks this bishop, what do you mean? By what kind? By what manner of death? And the bishop says, he is dead to God. According to the words of Eusebius, this young man was now the most violent, the most cruel of them all, he was completely lost to God. And on hearing this, Eusebius writes that John ripped his clothes and, his, and he beat his head with great lamentation for this young man. And then he turned from his grief and he asked for a horse so that he could go and search for this young man. This young man was now living in the mountains where he became a gang leader. And if anyone would dare to go to the mountains, he would get killed. So John jumps on the horse and he rides as fast as he could and he gets to the mountain. And when he gets there, this gang captures John. And Eusebius tells us that John neither fled nor begged for his life, but he cried out, for this did I come. Lead me to your captain. When the young man sees John, though armed, he flees in shame. And Eusebius writes, 
But John, forget, forgetting his age, pursued him with all his might, crying out, Why, my son, do you flee from me, your own father, an unarmed and aged? Pity me, my son. Fear not, you still have hope of life. I will willingly enjoy your death as the Lord suffered death for us. Stand, believe, Christ has sent me. Hearing these words, the young man broke down. He dropped his weapons, embraced John, making confession with lamentations as he was able, baptizing himself a second time with tears. Where does John get that kind of heart? Where does John get that kind of courage? Where does John get that unrelenting, unselfish love? From the love of Jesus. Beloved of God, you and I, just like John, we can all say, I am loved. I am loved by Jesus. That is who I am. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And that changes everything. Amen. I want to ask us to... Stand, and if you can close your eyes, and I'll ask the band to come up. Just as you close your eyes, I want to invite you this morning. Perhaps if you are at that place where you feel You've been running away from God like that young man. Maybe where you feel shame in your heart. Maybe you've never known the love of Jesus that you can say, I am loved, I am loved by Jesus. There is love for you this morning in Jesus. Maybe you want to raise your hand wherever you are, if that's you. Or maybe you just want to write on that sticky knot to say, yes, here I am, Jesus. I want to know your love. Maybe for us this morning, it's just a fresh, fresh surrender to the love of God. Maybe just a fresh 
helping to the love of God. Jesus, here we are. We stretch out our hand and we say, won't you fill us with a sense of your love again and again and again that we can say afresh, I am loved by Jesus and that is who I am. Maybe for some this morning, it's just a, a response of worship. Over the last year, eight years, as you reflected on our last year, eight years, and maybe God drops something for you to be grateful for. And in that, we can all just worship God and thank Him for His love. As the band plays this morning, I want to invite you to write down whatever God is dropping into your heart this morning. Maybe some, they say it's just worship and gratitude to the love of God. And let's come and stick those knots here to my left.